Sound on, power on, your power electronics podcast, powered by PCIM Europe. Hello everybody and welcome to the third episode of Sound on, power on, your power electronics podcast powered by PCIM Europe. My name is Marco Jung. I'm a professor for e-mobility and electrical infrastructure at the Bonn Rhein-Sieg University of Applied Science at St. Augustine as well as Head of Department Converter and Electrical Drives at the Fraunhofer Institute of Energy Economics and Energy System Technology at Kassel. Both are located in Germany. Additionally, I'm the chairman of the IEEE joint IES-IAS-PALS German chapter. And today our technical theme is using hardware in the loop and power hardware in the loop for cost-effective and reproducible testing of power electronics. And this I will discuss with Ravi Venigopal from Opal RT. Hi Ravi, how are you? Hi Marco, I'm doing well, thanks. And uh, I'm very glad to be on this podcast with you on Sound On, Power On to talk about uh, HIL and PHIL. Great Ravi, so that sounds really nice and I see you're really great. So, where are still you located now? Well, I'm in uh, Nuremberg, right where the P PCIM Europe conference will be held in just under a month. Um, it's where we have our office, uh, the OPLRT office for the dark region. And I'm proud to be leading a great team that's a little part of the power electronics revolution that's underway. Great. You're still next to me, but I think we will see us then on the PCIM local in Nuremberg. So maybe some information for our listeners. Um, Ravi and I working since, hmm, let's say, two years together in real-time simulation and power hardware in the loop for teaching and education. So it's really nice stuff. And uh, colleagues of mine at the Fraunhofer IWE have a longer history together with Opal RT and with Ravi. Um, they have done several research projects on real-time simulation and power hardware in the loop. And I think so, Ravi. I'm looking to your face and I see your whole business life. You have worked, let's say, in real-time simulation. Um, please give us, uh, yeah, let's say, a briefly overview of your experience and um, maybe of your company Opal RT. Yes, indeed, Marco. Yeah. So uh, I've been involved with real-time simulation from the time I was a master's student about 30 years ago. Um, over my career, I've seen it grow in, uh, from its origins in the aerospace industry to becoming dominant in the automotive industry. And now it's playing a key role in the energy industry to enable the transformation to renewables and uh, with the focus on decarbonization. Um, so this is really, um, I think it's a tremendously interesting topic that's evolved over the years and uh, found new applications. And uh, there are so many examples of uh, catastrophic software failures such as, uh, for example, the um, 2003 Northeast blackout in the U.S. Uh, there was the loss of the Mars orbiter in 1995. There was an Ariane 5 uh, rocket failure in 1996. And uh, you could argue that uh, many of these failures could have been avoided uh, with comprehensive hardware-in-the-loop testing. And maybe I should say a little bit about hardware-in-the-loop testing when I mention it here for our listeners who uh, are not aware of the technology. So the basic idea is that you connect your real equipment, your controllers, your automation, your protection uh, to a real-time simulation of the system that they're controlling or protecting. 
and this device doesn't know it's not in the real system and you can do extensive testing based on real-time simulation uh, of the uh, plant that it's controlling. And um, the, the nice thing is it's a simulation, the risks are low, and uh, you can do a whole lot of tests that might not be feasible in the real world. And so you can test in a very comprehensive way going beyond what you could do in a lab or a field test. And this really de-risks the implementation of your control and automation. Now, coming to OpalRT, um, it's been a pioneer in using real-time simulation for hardware-in-the-loop testing for power systems. Um, its origins are in uh, Hydro-Quebec, uh, which had a really strong uh, real-time simulation group or lab back in the 1970s. And this was driven by need. Um, in Canada, you have a lot of uh, hydropower generation that's uh, remote from the load centers and the cities. And uh, you have equipment deployed in rather difficult to access places. And this was a problem because in the middle of the Canadian winter, uh, driving 600 kilometers to fix something, you didn't find that many volunteers to do that. And so Hydro-Quebec really started doing a lot of hardware-in-the-loop testing before they deployed the equipment. And this was done before the 90s using first analog simulators and then supercomputers because of the computational requirements. But then as we got to the um, 90s, computing power started increasing rapidly. And our founders, Jean Belanger and Lise Laforce, who were working at the Hydro-Quebec Real-Time Simulation Lab, um, decided that they would start OpalRT to use commercial off-the-shelf processors, uh, you know, the more powerful processors that were coming out of Intel and so on. Um, and, well, they were not, each one was not powerful enough. If you hook them up to compute in parallel, you could start addressing some of the computational requirements for this. And this was uh, how the company started. Uh, in the 90s and um, yeah from there we've moved we've grown in uh, the energy sector of course but also in the aerospace and automotive sectors mm -hmm. great i think we can learn a lot of what's happening in canada as a best practice because germany will implement in future a lot of lng and hydrogen power in the uh, infrastructure and i think uh, in canada has done it in the past maybe we can have a look uh, to canada from Germany's side. Great. Before we start now to go a little bit deeper in real-time simulation, power hardware in the loop and so on, please, Ravi, I want to know from you what technology innovation at OpalRT or technology step made the most impact on your life? So that's a, that's a really interesting question, uh, Marco. So from my side, I truly believe that uh, OpalRT's contribution to the simulation of power electronics especially using FPGAs to handle the fast dynamics, uh, has been revolutionary. You know, beyond the ability to just simulate these systems, which is a challenge in itself um, because of the fast dynamics and so on and so forth, um, it's also built a software environment where an electrical engineer can test out power electronics controls without knowing anything about FPGAs. You know, they're not FPGA programmers. They're not experts in, these, in this field. Um, so what we've been able to do is create a software environment where a power electronics engineer can just create the schematic of the converter or inverter that they want to test um, the controls for and um, just in effect with a couple of clicks have the simulation running in real time on the FPGA. So uh, I'd say this um, technology has had a big impact and will have a big impact with e-mobility, with the decarbonization, you know, power electronics are just 
you know, they're going to continue to grow and, and rapidly because of uh, everything that's happening across the world right now. And uh, just for to give you a couple of examples, um, I'd say a good one is SNCF, the rail operator in France. And uh, recently they've looking at uh, having their trains run at 350 kilometers an hour instead of 320. And they were upgrading their power electronics and the controls for, for this purpose. And they used our systems and EHS, our power electronics uh, simulation suite, to do the testing of their controllers. And, you know, we've got other companies, for example, G that's used our simulation platforms for a range of applications from energy systems to marine applications. Um, so these are a few examples, but I would really think that uh, coming to impact, uh, it's been the contribution to power electronic simulation. Your last sentence now leads us in our topic for today, let's say uh, for power electronics. Um, and in the last episodes of Sound On, Power On, I discussed with Frede and with Peter, let's say, the future trends in power electronics as well as using wide band gap devices in power converters. Now it's for me really important and I think for our listeners too. Um, can you give us a look inside for what we can use real-time simulation in this context with power electronics and what are the advantages of hardware in the loop? Uh, so... Looking at the way the power electronics industry is evolving, uh, as you said, wide band gap devices are going to make a, a big difference. You know, everyone's looking to have better power to volume, power to weight ratios, and they're going to higher switching frequencies using wide band gap devices. And um, this in itself, you know, produces some challenges. You, you do need to have controls that are operating at faster switching frequencies. Um, and the applications range from e-mobility to energy systems to even, you know, commercial consumer devices. And um, so that, that's one side of it, that you, your controls are, are going to have to evolve to, to be able to uh, implement these wide band gap devices. On the other side, for certain architectures like dual active bridges, for uh, resonant converters, the controls um, have to uh, have very specific characteristics. And testing all these controls uh, for wideband gap device-based uh, converters will require a lot of testing, a lot of development. And here's where hardware in the loop can really play an important role. Um, first, it allows you to do extensive testing, de-risking the implementation on the real hardware. The second is also that you could start your development before you have the actual physical hardware. So you can get started, you can start doing a lot of development work uh, with the real-time simulation. And then as you get closer to deploying uh, your controls, you can do extensive fault testing, fault conditions. Um, you can uh, really cover Uh, the range of scenarios that the uh, controls would be working in before implementing them. And I think this de-risks and accelerates the process. And it's it's a competitive industry. You need to get out there um, as fast as possible. That's one side. And then you can also do, um, you know, work with Power Hardware in the Loop. And I know, Marco, that's one of your interests also, to test the complete uh, inverter and converter uh, assemblies, including the controls. And this opens up uh, another range of testing. So not just the controls, but the complete uh, converter system. Ravi, as you said, there exist several application possibilities for real-time simulation. Let me add one topic. Big power grid simulation, um, which needs a high computing power. Phase simulation are in the area of 100 
milliseconds up to one to three seconds. EMT needs smaller step sides than, let's say, 50 microseconds. But for switched model-like power converters using wide bed gap semiconductors, like for example silicon carbide or gallium nitride, the step size needs to be done in the area of nanoseconds. I know PowerRT uses parallel computing or better, a multi-core simulation strategy. Can you describe your approach in more detail and what are the limits? Yeah, great question, uh, Marco. So I'll handle the first question first, where you were talking about uh, grid simulation. And this is definitely one area as you start having more converter-driven uh, distributed energy resources in the grid, you do want to see what the impacts are. You want to see how they interact. You want to see uh, if there are any resonances. Um, so, you know, from design of uh, filters to uh, just seeing how the network behaves and also when you have uh, to perhaps study things like black start conditions with converter-driven systems. So there's a whole lot of grid simulation that needs to be done. And um, yeah, with large grids, uh, of course, there is a lot of computation that needs to be carried out. And uh, as I mentioned before, we've been working on this for many years. The structure of OpalRT has been built around um, parallel computing, uh, the structure of our platforms, I should say. You know, we cover both phaser simulation in the order of milliseconds and EMT, as you said, in 50 microseconds or below. For this, we use multi-core CPUs. Again, it's not always trivial to do this because there are latencies in data transfer, which can compromise the accuracy of the simulation. So you have to have specific numerical methods. Uh, you have to have ways of decoupling the system in such a way that it makes sense. Uh, and this is something that we, we spend a lot of time on. But there is a limit. We can get down to maybe 5 microseconds, 10 microseconds, something like that. But, you know, there are many applications and uh, that have used uh, these CPU configurations. ABB has done a lot of work with us for their medium voltage drives. But now, as you said, as we go going to wide band gap devices, as we're going to really high switching frequencies, we really need to be in the sub-microsecond, uh, nanosecond range. And um, the only way that we found to do this effectively is to go to FPGAs, where we can assimilate uh, relatively large networks or numbers of switches uh, on FPGAs. So we can do um, right now with the, our most powerful platform, which uses a Xilinx Vertex 7 FPGA, uh, we can get up to about 288 switches in under a microsecond. But really, to do effective real-time simulation, you need to be running at about 100 times the switching frequency. And so um, there are challenges. I mean, we, we are hitting the limits as we get into the hundreds of kilohertz type uh, switching frequencies. We need to find ways, and it involves everything from using multiple FPGAs, parallel computing, to finding better solvers, to trying to identify which effects are really important when you do testing. So it's a big challenge. There's a lot of work to be done. And this is where we also look to work with partners and universities and collaborating to see how we can develop this technology. Great. As you said it now, uh, what do you think about to approach or using an improved solver versus more hardware? What do you think about um, what is a better um, solution for the future? Yeah, so this is a really good point, and I, I briefly mentioned it um, earlier. And so 
We have to work on both sides, really, to address the challenges that are coming up. With respect to solvers, especially for switching systems, we do have to find good ways to model switches because, again, just the, with roughly speaking, with each switch, you can have two sets of equations. If you have n switches, you have two to the power of n sets of equations, and this can grow very rapidly. So you need to find good ways of modeling your switches. Um, we have particular solver that what we call a fixed admittance matrix um, solver for our EHS generation four solver. That's the earlier generation. And uh, it enables us to simulate large power electronic systems, but it also has a limit in terms of accuracy because we're making approximations. And so there's always this trade-off between accuracy and speed of simulation. And then when you look at more hardware, that does provide you the ability to go bigger, but then there are uh, issues with latencies, with data transfers, because once you're talking nanoseconds, um, this sort of parallelization is not just a it's it's just not a matter of adding more hardware power that that doesn't work you have to be smart about the way you you split the system so my answer to that question is it's really um we have to work on both sides to meet the challenges that are coming up in the future so change our focus i think one big advantage for hardware in the loop is power hardware in the loop used for reusable testing But what is about the latency between the real-time simulator and the amplifier? I have some experience uh, from the past. Do we need new interface requirements? I think that will be a hot research topic in the future, maybe together for us. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, this is uh, it is a hot research topic and uh, power hardware in the loop is always challenging because at the end of the day, you're simulating something, you're adding in power amplifiers, you're creating latencies that will not be there in the real world. Latencies automatically imply stability issues. But there are a couple of things to keep in mind. Um, the first is that when you're testing an entire inverter system, usually what you're doing is you're simulating the grid or some other device um, on the real-time simulator. And the dynamics there are in the tens of microseconds, so it buys you a little bit of time in terms of handling the latencies with the power amplifiers and so on, are typically in the range of 10 microseconds or less. They still make a difference, uh, and you still have to be careful about the way you close the loop when you're doing grid simulation with a real uh, inverter or converter. But, you know, it's um, it, it depends on the use case. So, And we're spending a lot of uh, effort in uh, figuring out how we can design interface algorithms to enable closed-loop stability of a PHIL system without losing too much accuracy. But then there are times when we have to do just power electronics um, PHIL, and now your model's running on the FPGA, and now we're talking uh, dynamics, which we're simulating with time steps in the nanoseconds. And this is especially relevant when you're doing, for example, motor emulation. You have your inverter, and then you're emulating the motor on the FPGA, and you have the power amplifier in between that's uh, creating uh, latencies of a few microseconds. And in this case, it is very tricky, and it is a research topic that um, you know we're looking at in, in detail. Or another use case might be you have a converter-driven system uh, for the grid with multiple converters. You have one real converter, but then you have multiple simulated converters on the FPGA. And then again, the latency for the PHIL is an issue. So... To be honest, we, we don't have all the answers right now, and it is a research topic, and uh, definitely we'd be very happy to work with you and your group uh, on this.
Yeah, great. And I think uh, for this theme, latency, you have a topic of a paper for the PCIM conference. I think it's dealing still with PV testing, right? Can you give us a short overview of this? Yes, quite right. So um, the paper talks about uh, designing an interface algorithm for testing PV inverters in a power hardware in the loop setup. And um, depending on the filter configuration in the inverter, whether it's an LC or an LCL, um, there can be uh, stability issues. And the way we typically interface um, a converter and inverter in a PHIL setup is you add a low-pass filter to help with the stability. You basically try to filter out the high-frequency current feedback so that it doesn't trigger any instabilities. But when you do that, you're obviously compromising your accuracy. And you need to have a trade-off between um, stability and accuracy. And this paper deals with a particular method of addressing that stability-accuracy compromise and uh, talks about a method in which we can do this. Um, so it's both analytical and it also shows experimental results um, in an actual power hardware-in-the-loop setup. Mm -hmm. Great. So that we will see from your side um, at the conference. And I think you have a booth at the fair. Can you explain us a little bit more what we can see there from Opal RT? Oh, yes, uh, it would be my pleasure to do so. Um, yeah, of course, we would uh, have a booth at PCIM in Nuremberg. Uh, so this is where we're located for the dark region, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, it's just an amazing show with, um, you know, so many exhibitors. It's so big, both uh, in terms of the um, trade exhibition and all the papers and the community that comes there. So, yeah, we'd be very happy to welcome uh, all our listeners and you uh, to come by uh, the booth and, and visit us. There's going to be a lot of interesting things. Um, we have our experts, of course, that will be able to talk to you about hardware in the loop simulation and um, the technologies we are developing. If you have questions based on what you've heard in this podcast, feel very welcome to come by and talk to us. So first of all, um, there'll be people who have uh, spent a good part of their uh, professional careers studying HIL and PHIL for power electronics. Secondly, I think you'll be able to see some demos of our products in this space, especially our EHS Gen 5 uh, power electronics simulation system, which enables you to test uh, systems with high switching frequencies, uh, tens, hundreds of kilohertz, and uh, also topologies such as the dual active bridge and some of the uh, newer types of converters that are uh, being deployed in, in the field. So that's, I, I think there are Anyone who visits our booth will, will be able to get a real, really good idea of uh, HIL. I don't think we'll be having a power hardware in the loop setup because that's a little more difficult to, to set up in a booth. But um, uh, we definitely will be able to talk to you about what we're doing in the space of power hardware in the loop. Thanks. So let us have a look to the future. I think using hardware in the loop for digital twins as well as using AI for parameter generation are really next steps. What we will see in the future? Yeah, no, it's, it's really an exciting time. Uh, you know, we have uh, huge challenges, uh, revolutionary technology. Uh, digital twins are really a critical part of our technological roadmap. We see them as being increasingly important for both uh, devel development and operations. And uh, we're looking to leverage our CPU, FPGA, real-time simulation platforms uh, 
for them to be the basis of uh, to create online digital twins which would basically have real-time simulations integrated with live data coming from the field. Now, as we do this, obtaining good data to build these models for digital twins is, is definitely going to be a challenge. And also validating these models as they get bigger and bigger and bigger is also going to be a challenge. And I think uh, AI could uh, provide a, a solution for this, both in terms of being able to optimize parameters or be able to choose good parameters, because at any point, you're not going to have 100% complete information and you're going to have to make some trade-offs. And I think AI definitely has um, the uh, potential to help with parameterizing these systems. On the other side, I think AI could also be used to generate test cases. Um, you know, as we test and we find issues, it's hard to manually go and redefine the tests. And maybe we would be much faster if we used AI to use results in sort of a feedback loop to generate new test cases to isolate where the problem might be or figure out um, the best way to, to correct the fault. So I think this is going to be a big uh, development, uh, really figuring out how we can use AI in the field of uh, real-time simulation. And also, as we have uh, big systems, we're going to generate an enormous amount of data. We're going to have to find a way to analyze them and make them interpretable by humans. And I think AI is going to play a role on that. And so we're actively in engaging in R&D and in advanced technology programs with both academic and industrial partners. And uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot that can be done. Uh, we'll have increasingly powerful tools. And uh, yeah, our CEO likes to say, um, perhaps our imaginations will be our limitations with all the things that are happening. Yeah, I think it's a really hard stuff. Um, there exists a lot of algorithm, let's say, for solving, but to extract the parameters, yeah, so to get the correct parameters, let's say, for example, powered in the loop uh, using for testing in reliability or something like this, I think it's a really hard stuff. Yeah, and I think uh, we need a lot of research in the future in these fields, let's say, yeah, to use AI in the good way. Uh, the use of AI in the field of real-time simulation is at its infancy right now. We're still trying to figure out what it can do, and there's um, a lot of potential. So you're absolutely right that this is uh, a topic um, for a lot of research and development, and I think it'll c continue over the years to come. Ravi, one theme is important and a matter close to my heart. Education and training. I believe the key to the success of real-time simulation and power hardware in the loop is education. My university offers various courses on the subject. Opel RT is also represented in a course. Can you say something more about this and what do you think are the future needs? Oh, we're definitely on the same page on this, uh, Marco. Um, Real-time simulation, HIL, PHIL are all relatively new uh, subjects in the wider world of um, power electronics. And uh, one of the most common problems that we hear from our customers is that they simply don't have the trained resources to get into HIL or PHIL. So it's extremely important for universities to build curricula on these subjects, just like your university, Hochschule uh, Bondreinzig, uh, is doing. You know, there are a few universities that are taking the lead, like you um, are, I believe, KIT in Karlsruhe is doing a little bit of this. Uh, we've been working with a couple of universities in the U.S., uh, in Lebanon, in a few countries around the world, in developing uh, programs uh, to teach hardware in the loop, power hardware in the loop for power electronics and power systems. 
Um, so we're collaborating um, with um, universities such as yours to build courseware and uh, we do feel that it's most important that the professors and the lecturers design the courses, but we're trying to work with you to support you with the tools to demonstrate the concepts and to get students uh, hands-on experience. Yeah, we we also see this as something that's going to keep us busy in the in the years going ahead in building up education and and teaching infrastructure to um, enable the widespread use of hardware in the loop and power hardware in the loop technologies. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay, Ravi, thanks for your statements. And I hope we will see us at the PCIM in Nuremberg and discuss future possibilities. Thanks, Ravi. Thank you very much, Marco. It's been a true pleasure being on uh, Sound On, Power On, and I'm looking forward to seeing you and uh, some of our listeners at PCIM in Nuremberg in May. To all the listeners, wherever you might be, thank you very much for listening. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode and have gained some valuable insights. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast, which is available on all major podcast platforms. If you would like to share your feedback with us, please do so via an email to podcast-pcim at mesago.com. We'd be delighted to meet many of you live and in person at the PCIM Europe in Nuremberg from 10th to 12th May. Tickets for the trade show and conference as well as further information are available at pcim-europe.com or via the links in the show notes. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Sound On Power On, powered by PCIM Europe. Do subscribe and share.